0: Dear Father, we thank you again for your mercy on us, for the many good things that you have given us. Thank you for your kindness to this church and your blessing upon her. We pray for those with health issues right now, that you would bless and heal them, for everyone who's down with sickness, for people with chronic issues, for people people like Jean, who's waiting to see what the new normal is. We pray that you would be with him and with all of us. Um, Help this church body to be well and not to have a big round of fall winter sickness right now. We pray for those mothers who are with child that you would bless the babies in their wombs and keep them healthy and safe. We pray for everyone who's um, working a job right now that you would bless them, help them not to burn out. Pray for those of us with kids and those of us in school and everybody with all the different things going on in our lives that you would bless us during this time. Thank you again for your mercy, Father. We thank you for your word. Please uh, bless the preaching of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning again. Morning. Uh, When I was in eighth grade, I had a really frustrating teacher. Probably the most frustrating teacher that I've ever had in my entire life. His name was, I won't say his real name, we'll call him Mr. Jorgensen. That's pretty close to what his real name was. And I remember the first time that I was introduced to Mr. Jorgensen, I said, my name is Nathan. And he said, oh, okay, Nathan. And I said, no, my name is Nathan. And he said, yes, Nathan. And I said, no, my name is Nathan. And he said, yes, Nathan, that is what I said. And I realized old Mr. Jorgensen was not from the United States of America. He was from Denmark. And I realized that was not a good Denmark accent. I don't do accents, but I don't know what accent that was. But Mr. Jorgensen had a very thick Danish accent, and he was a really weird, frustrating teacher. Did a lot of things different than what I was used to. But the thing that I want to talk about today that he did was he was the worst teacher I've ever had in terms of playing favorites. And I swear this exact thing happened more than once where Mr. Jorgensen would ask a really easy question. It wouldn't be quite this easy, but let's just say for the purposes of argument, it'd be like, what is two plus two? And then I'd raise my hand and I would say, "Uh, it's four, Mr. Jorgensen, and then he would go, oh, oh, Nathan, no, no, Nathan, that is, that is not correct. And then we would go on and we'd have some more class discussion, and then, inevitably, some blonde girl would raise her hand and would say, Mr. Jorgensen, I think the answer is four." Four. And he'd say, wonderful Betty Sue, you are a credit to your everything, I love you. (laughs) And I got to thinking about it. And I thought, Brittany Sue is not actually better than me. Brittany Sue did not have a better answer than me. There must be something about Brittany Sue other than her actual skill level that Mr. Jorgensen is responding to and rewarding. She just happens to be the person that Mr. Jorgensen likes. And that's a bad feeling if you've ever seen somebody get an award, or if you've got a promotion at work, or kids, if you've seen someone succeed in school, or I don't know, we have a lot of kids in Christian school, if somebody's got the the Spirit Award, or I don't know if your school has anything like that, my school had stuff like that, and then you're like, they didn't deserve that. I deserved that. Or someone else deserved that. Or I just know they didn't deserve that. But for whatever reason, they, they know how to play the game, man. They know how to do the, the right stuff, right? Brittany Sue was not better than me. She just happened to be the person that Mr. York is So we're continuing our Faith of Our Fathers series today. And we've been going through the heroes of the Old Testament and talking about different people like the the whole history of God's people through the Old Testament from Adam to Jesus. And today we are in the book of Judges. And the thing about the book of Judges is that it has a lot of people where you're like, yeah, I guess this is a hero of the faith, but this also is, just feels like someone who God happens to like. Like when you actually look at their godliness level, or what they're like, or their their character, it's like, why does this person get to do these miracles? Why does this person get to be the person who God has called to do all these wonderful things? Because it seems like they're a pretty big sinner in in some extraordinarily sinful ways, right? The the book of Judges describes a really dark time for the history of Israel— it has some really bad sinners in it. And the question is just like, how are these people heroes of the faith? What the heck, man? So Israel, if you'll remember, uh, Pastor Ben shared with us last week, Moses gets them all the way to the promised land, and then Joshua leads them into the promised land. They conquer the promised land. They drive out the enemy nations, a bunch of bad guys. And the problem is they don't drive out all the bad guys, though. There are still a lot of enemy nations that are kind of occupying the hill countries or right on the border or even in their midst. So you have some of the famous villains of the Bible. You have like the Philistines and the Amalekites and the Midianites and like these people that just reoccur as the, the villains, right? And the thing about this whole period of hundreds of years that the book of Judges talks about is that there was no king in Israel. For several hundred years, people just pretty much did whatever they wanted. Until, eventually, that really didn't work. And so God gave them a king. And who was the king that God gave them? Saul. And how did that work out? Not so well. He was a failure. And then, finally, we get David, who's like the real promised king. The real great king of Israel. But meanwhile, before they get a king, there's this hundred-year period where there's this pattern. Where the people serve the evil gods of the nations that surround them. And then God's like, well, I don't care for that. So he sends a nation to oppress them as punishment. And then they're like, we're really sorry. And God raises up a judge. That's why it's called the book of Judges, to free them, to defeat their enemies. The people are a little bit better during the life of this judge. And then the judge dies. And then they become twice as bad as they were before. So uh, Judges 2, verses 16 to 19, describes this pattern. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies for all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died... They turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So that's at the very beginning of the book of Judges, and it's describing this pattern that's going to happen through the entire book for like a 400-year period. The same thing is going to repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat. And so the people of God are basically just horrible You read about them and you're just, you you read about them during this period and you're just like, blarg! But then you read about the judges that God raises up to save them. And what do you think when you read about some of those judges? Also blarg! But then you see that many of them are held up as examples, as, as people we're supposed to aspire to. So in the book of Hebrews, the famous chapter 11, the faith chapter with all the the heroes of the faith, it says this, uh, it's like the end of the list. Hebrews 11.32, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. So there's four judges listed there. And since we don't have time to actually talk about every judge in the book of Judges, I thought we'd just talk about those four who are definitely examples of faith, examples of what we should be, right? But we're going to see a lot of blarg, a lot of blarg. And so... I need everybody to help me by saying the word blarg every time we get to a blargy thing. So, on the count of three, one, two, three. Blarg. I love it. Okay. And the question is: why all the blarg? Why is God using these sinful men? So let's talk first about Gideon. What do we know about Gideon? Does anybody know anything about Gideon? Yes, sir. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> That sat in a tree. No. He ran around the wall. No. Good. Good. Good guess. So the answer is no. Nobody does know anything about Giddy. Uh, <laughs> yes, you little girl. I can't hear a word of that, but I think maybe you're right. Is she right? Okay. Did you say, he has the fleece miracle, right? God is like, hey, Gideon, I want you to take some dudes and go defeat the Midianite army. And Gideon's like, I'm not sure whether I believe this is actually from God. And God's like, okay, I'll prove it to you. And we do this. There's this famous miracle where he puts out a fleece and the next day, I forget which way it goes, but the next day it's wet on the ground and dry on the fleece. And then he does it again. And the next day it's wet on the fleece and dry on the ground, right? And then Gideon musters an army, and he brings it against the Midianites. But there's another famous thing that people may remember about Gideon, which is that God keeps winnowing the army down because God wants the glory. He doesn't want it to be like, we mustered the greatest army. No, so they send home like all the guys that are scared, all the guys that can't do it, all the guys that drink water wrong. They, they just keep winnowing it down until we have 300 guys. And then They break their uh, jars and make a lot of noise and spook the Midianite army and totally defeat them. And it's awesome. It's one of the great stories of warfare and God saving his people. So that's Gideon, pretty great guy. Pretty great things God accomplished through him. But what else did Gideon do? If you actually read the book of Judges, this this part doesn't usually make it into the little Sunday school coloring books. Gideon made a golden ephod, like an apron kind of a thing, and he put it up as an idol. And the people of Israel worshipped it. And the way that the book of Judges describes it, it says, the whole nation went after this idol. Blarg. Yeah, let's say it. One, two, three. That's really bad. That's really blarg. He led the whole nation astray with an idol. I like the fleece stuff, not so much the idol stuff. All right, let's. uh, So, so next we've got uh, Barak. Does anybody know anything about Barak? Yeah, I didn't think so. Um, So, Barak defeated the Canaanites, and he was also a great man of war, and he led the Israelites against the Canaanites who were oppressing them at the time. And that's pretty cool. But the thing about Barak, he's probably the best. His sin is the least bad of the ones we're going to talk about today. But uh, the prophetess Deborah says, hey, Barak, God says you got to go wipe out the Canaanites. And he's like, okay, but I'm only going to do that if you go with me. Blar. Yeah. Okay. One, two, three. Blar. I love it. Okay. Uh, Deborah said to him, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Which is not a good thing. This guy should have had the glory. Sisera is like the evil enemy captain. And he should have been the one to kill him. But instead, it goes to a lady because he's a sissy pants. So, blarg. Blarg. Total blarg. Okay, now, you thought we had some blarg before. We're really gonna get to some blarg. Samson, Samson, now what do you know about Samson? I'm sure everybody knows something about Samson. Just shout it out. Picked up a big wall, long hair, blarg. We're getting there. He's like Thor, yeah. He's like a superhero, yeah. He married an ugly guy. Oh, a Canaanite, close, he married a Philistine. Anything else? He was chained, chained. yes, yes. So so let me just go through the story of Samson's real quick. I want to spend a little more time here. This is one of the main stories. We all know it, probably. We've heard Sunday school lessons. Samson did this. Samson did this. He had the great miracles. Now, what was definitely good about Samson is he killed lots of Philistines, God's enemy, in some pretty cool ways. What was blarg about Samson? Kind of everything else. Honestly. So the angel of the Lord announces the birth of this child to a woman who had been barren before. Hey, this kid's going to be Samson. He's going to deliver the people. This is going to be great. His life is going to be dedicated to God. He's going to be a Nazarite. He's going to grow his hair long. You're never supposed to cut it. And he's going to do great things for God's people. And Samson is born, and that's how he starts out. And it says something like, the spirits was stirring in Samson at a young age. And that's a pretty good beginning to a story, right? But then we get to everything else. And so how does Samson become a freedom fighter, a liberator of his people? Well, it all starts when he sees a cutie, a, a Philistine girl, and he's like, hey, dad, I want to marry that Philistine girl. And his dad's like, we're not supposed to marry the Philistines. They're the enemy of God. Why don't you marry one of, like, we've got, we've got cuties too. And Samson's like, nah, I want to marry the Philistine girl. And they're like, okay, okay. So Samson goes and marries a Philistine gal. And then there's this famous story. I wish we had time to go into it. Samson gets attacked on the road by a lion. And the Spirit of God comes on him. And he rips the lion limb from limb. And the metaphor the Bible uses is, he ripped the lion like you would rip a young goat. So I guess people were always ripping young goats at the time, and it was really easy. But oh, I like that detail. Uh, anyway, some honey grows in the lion, and Samson's eating honey out of the lion, which is another not particularly sanitary-sounding thing to me, but he, he makes a riddle out of it, and he goes to his wedding feast to this, this bad lady, and he gives the riddle to the Philistines there, and they can't figure it out. And they're going to owe him a whole bunch of clothes. So they're like, hey, Samson's wife, why don't you, you know, saddle up on to your husband there and get the answer to this riddle. And uh, if you don't, we'll murder you and your family. And she's like, okay. And so she goes and basically nags Samson through the whole wedding feast, which is several days long. And finally, at the end of it, gets the answer to the riddle. The guys come and like, hey, Samson, obviously the answer to the riddle is this. And Samson's like, ugh, they got my riddle. Now I owe them 30 suits of clothes. So when you owe clothes, what do you do? You go to a nearby town, you kill 30 guys, you take their clothes, you fulfill your bet. Blar. 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 Well, yeah, it feels feels a little blargy. I mean, they're God's enemies. I don't want to be too judgmental. But uh, Samson pays off his his debt, and then he goes and sulks and just doesn't even stay stay with his new Philistine wife. And then one day he's like, I should really check in on that uh, Philistine wife of mine. And so he goes, and her dad is there, and her dad's like, oh, sorry, I gave her to somebody else. Uh, you, you weren't around, I thought you were mad about the whole riddle, murdering all the people thing, the clothes. Uh, she, she, I gave her to your friend. So, Philist, so Samson's like, well now I have a vendetta against the Philistines. And so he does what anybody would do if they were angry. We've all done this. He captures 300 foxes and sets their tails on fire and sends them through the Philistine grain burning it, burning their crops, burning their supplies, and basically starting this sort of war with the Philistines. On the one side, all the Philistines. On the other side, Samson, one guy. But Samson's doing pretty well. He's doing pretty well. And people are killing people back and forth and stuff. And the Philistines kill Samson's wife and her dad. And then in turn, Samson kills more of them. And there's lots of killing. Uh, and then finally, the Israelites are like, hey, the Philistines, Samson, the Philistines are really picking on us because of you, so we're going to turn you into the Philistines. And Samson's like, okay, just uh, promise me you won't hurt me. And they're like, that's, that's fine, we'll just hand you over to the Philistines. So they bind him, they take him to the Philistines, he gets to the Philistines, and then the most awesome thing ever happens, he breaks his bonds with the Spirit of God, he grabs a, a, a donkey's jawbone, and he beats a thousand guys to death. And then Samson is like, thank you Lord for giving me. No, actually what he's like is he's really thirsty after that. And he says, God, I just survived a thousand guys and now I'm going to die of thirst. And then God makes some water come out of a rock or something like that. Now Samson's learned his lesson and he's going to become, he's not going to fight for his own selfish reasons, he's going to fight for God, he's going to fight for the people, he's going to free his, nah, then he he goes and he sees a bad lady in the city. That's the next thing he does and that leads to the big miracle where the enemy surrounds him and he lifts the gate and all that kind of stuff. Then he falls in with another lady, Delilah, pretty famous bad lady of the Bible, You can find books called, like, Bad Ladies of the Bible, and Delilah is right up there with Jezebel and some others like that. And the Philistine lords go to Delilah, and they're like, hey, can you figure out what's going on with Samson? What is the secret to his strength? And so she starts bugging him, like, tell me the secret. And he tells her fake secrets. He's like, if you bind me with such and such a cord, then my strength will go away. And then she does it and it doesn't work. And that happens several times. And then finally she's like, when are you gonna tell me your real secret? And then he tells her. The person who had been using all the fake secrets as if they were real secrets to, you see what I'm saying? That's Blarg. And then they cut his hair and he has no strength and the Philistines put out his eyes. Blarg! And then he goes to the temple of the Philistines where they basically bring him out like, hey, there's the guy that used to kill all of us. Let's make fun of Samson. And then he has his famous final miracle. And even here, it's really interesting. He doesn't say, dear Lord, I've sinned against you and done so many stupid things and squandered the gifts that you've given me. Please give me my strength back for one last super cool miracle. No, what he says is, I think I've got it right here. Oh Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And then he, he gets put against these two pillars. He pushes the pillars. He brings down the temple. He kills more bad guys in that one move than all the bad guys added up that he'd killed before. So Samson is our father in the faith. I do not want to be disrespectful to him. There were good things about Samson. But just looking at the story, like if you just came to the, you didn't know it was the Bible, you just read the story of this guy and you really read it and you don't just have Sunday school coloring book images. Uh, There's a lot of blarg. There's a lot of blarg. One, two, three. Blarg, yeah, there's a lot of that. Okay, so finally we have Jephthah. And does anybody know anything interesting about Jephthah? Leo. He sacrificed his daughter. That's right. So the thing about Jephthah is that the good thing about him was that God used him to defeat the Canaanites. Or no, the uh, i got my things. The Ammonites. The bad thing is that he made this rash vow. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. And then his daughter comes out. Now, people love to argue about the passage. Some people think he actually burnt her. That seems to be what the text says. I mean, he says his vow is to make a burnt offering. Some people think she dedicated her life to temple service. She was a temple virgin, basically, could never get married, went into seclusion, kind of lived the life of a nun, basically. Some people will even argue that it wasn't a rash vow because Jephthah doesn't seem to actually be a rash guy in the other parts of the passage and that God actually wanted something. You know, there's a more complicated thing here. At the very least, we have... God-inspired, Holy Spirit-inspired ambiguity about a passage of scripture over whether one of the heroes of the Bible made a dumb vow and then burned his daughter with fire, which is very, one, two, three, lark. And the book of Judges goes on with violence and depravity and idol worship and people going after power. There's, there's all kinds of stuff, stuff worse than anything I've mentioned today. But oftentimes, to be honest, the people of God are like terrible. And the heroes of God aren't that much better. Why does God include this in the Bible? How can God's people act this way? How can these men be pointed to as examples, heroes of the faith? The answer, I think, is because sin is real. And even great heroes of the faith have great sin, real sin, bad sin. And and how should we feel about that? Lark? No, I don't think so. I mean, yes, we should feel blarg. Sin is terrible, and we'll talk about that. But I think actually we should feel relieved. What a wonderful thing to know that sin is real and that men and women of faith are sinners. Why? Well, Well, several reasons. Number one, it makes sense of the world that we live in. It makes sense of who we are. It makes sense of our everyday lives. It makes sense of our marriages or of our singlenesses. It makes sense of things. So it's a, Halloween's coming up in a couple days, right? I was a monster kid. I loved monsters, I loved scary movies. Those were my favorites growing up. And what's the thing about somebody, if you've ever known or if you've ever been somebody who really loves scary movies, scary books, monster stuff, What's true about them? What, what's true about somebody like that is that they'll put on a scary, like, they'll, ah, it's, a long, it's been a long day at work or school. I feel terrible. I, I better turn on Vampire Freaks 7. That'll make me feel better. Like, they, they turn on something terrible, and then they, they actually feel kind of nurtured and comforted by it. Like, they have their favorites. They, I'm more of a Dracula guy. I'm more of a Frankenstein guy. You know, that's, that's a thing. If you didn't know that's a thing, that's a thing. They feel comforted by these things, and why? Why? Well, lots of reasons, some of them completely pathological. But here's one reason. You live in a world of Disney movies that tell you if you follow your dreams and you tolerate other people and you play by the rules and you are nice and you go after your heart and blah, 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 everything's gonna be okay and everything's gonna be good. And then you begin to see things in life that aren't like that and it doesn't make any sense and you feel crazy. You see people and you're like, those people only exist to take, to consume, to drink other people dry. That's not how I was told the world was supposed to work. How do I even think about this? And then you watch a Dracula movie and you're like, oh, those people are vampires. Now I get it, now I understand, now I don't feel so crazy. You're like, oh, I, I feel so, you know, uh, I feel like I have the wrong brain. I feel dead inside. I feel bad all the time. I feel like I've, I've been put together with bad, the wrong pieces. What is that? That's not how the world's supposed to work. And then you watch Frankenstein, and you're like, oh, I'm a Frankenstein. Frankenstein's monster. I'm a Frankenstein's monster. I have no control over my appetites. I'm a pretty nice guy. I try to do the right thing, but... Then I come across a pint of ice cream and or whatever it is. Why? How? How can I be that way? And then, and then you, you watch like the Wolfman or something, and you're like, oh, okay, I'm a Wolfman. Yeah, As the moon comes out, bad things happen, right? Well, that's a that's a pretty crummy metaphor for what I'm talking about, really, because horror movies don't have any hope, and oftentimes they're just depraved and silly. But in a similar way. Everything in our lives makes sense once we understand that we have sinful hearts. Why do I keep having the same fights with my spouse? Why have I been we've been working on the same thing for 20 years? Why are we only now figuring this out? Oh, you're a sinner. My kid is a good kid. I've been a good kid. I've been a good parent. They're a good kid. Why are they acting like this? I don't understand. Well, your kid's not a good kid and you're not a good parent. They're Problem solved. How can I be struggling with the same addiction, the same besetting sin, the same thing over? I, I just keep going back to it. Well, you're terrible. Why do I keep disrespecting and disobeying my parents? Well, you're an abomination. Um, so much of our lives are the way they are because we are Sinners objection, Nathan, are you saying God doesn't give us new hearts when we put our faith in Jesus? Yes, we do have new hearts. We have the spirit. We have faith. Just like Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, who explicitly says at different times, had the spirit of God. Like, it says that. So let me just say, no excuse for sin. God does give us real power over sin. If God has not given you any real power over sin ever in your life, then there might be something wrong. You might want to go back to the basics. You might want to think about whether you're a Christian. But we have to understand that sin is real, and sin clings furiously, tenaciously to us. It's big. It's powerful. And we still deal with it after we're saved. Like, imagine if you were someone just born with stumps, like you had no hands, And you went through life like uh, uh, without hands. And everything was pretty bad because you didn't have hands. And then one day, a wizard took pity on you and said, grow new hands. And you grew new hands. And you had hands. That would be a wonderful, fundamental change from death to life. New hands. Does that mean that you'd suddenly be able to write cursive? Does that mean that you wouldn't have to work on your macrame? Does that mean that, that's how you say that word, does that mean that your Nintendo Switch your Super Smash Brothers game would immediately be amazing? No, it'd probably be pretty bad because you never used your hands before. If you had new hands, you'd still have to learn how to use the hands. We have new hearts, but we still have to learn how to use our hearts. We have to learn how to be Christians who are married, who are single, who are in fellowship with each other, who are dealing with our anger, who are dealing with our eating and drinking, who live in fellowship with one another, some of us are like, God gave me new legs, so I should be able to run a triathlon. That's not how it works. And then people are upset and confused because they can't, you know? There's the kind of person who goes through life perpetually surprised that the thing that always happens is happening again. Again. Oh no, the thing that happens all the time is happening. What on earth? No! Why am I fighting with my spouse again? Why does my teenager hate me? Why am I tempted to judge everyone? Why do I feel so disappointed? Why am I feeling anxious? It can't be that I'm a sinner who does these sorts of things. Some Christians get mad if you say they're sinners. Some Christians try to forget or ignore that truth And then their lives don't make any sense because they do keep on sinning. I mean, this is me. I do this. So for all of us, it should be a relief to just see we are boring sinners who need Jesus, just like Jephthah, Gideon, Barak, Samson. It should also be a relief to remember that other people sin, that our parents, our kids, our pastors, our spouses, our boss, our employees, our teachers, our students, because we can all relax. Nobody's better than anybody, not really. We can all forgive. Because we all have the same problem and we don't have to engage in the conspiracy where I act really good and you act really good. And then we can think how good we are because we know good people like them and they know good people like us. If we're not careful, that's what we can think that the church is. That's what we can think. That's why we pay Jake the big bucks so that he could just be good and we can feel good. But we have to be done with that. We have to know that we sin. We have to know that other people sin. We have to know that Christ died for our sin. And we have to know that the Spirit is helping us die to our sins, which all starts with just looking at sin. So it's good to remember that we are big sinners like Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah. It makes sense of our lives. It makes sense of our relationships with other people. There's one more thing it does, which is it gives us hope. Now, each of these men suffered for their sin. It was bad. I do not recommend sinning. Sin is corrupting, it's evil, it's bad. Let me be very clear about that. But at the same time, these guys accomplished so much by their faith. God loves to use sinners who have faith in him. Why? Because then he gets the glory. The story of Samson is painful to read because Samson does just kind of feel like an oaf sometimes. Like, I marry a hot Philistine chick now. I give riddles to guys at weddings. But if God can use that guy, then what a God? Maybe he could even use me. Maybe he could even use you. 2 Corinthians twelve nine. 9. But he, he said to me, Christ said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So everybody, take a second. Think about the thing in your life that makes you go blarg! The irredeemable thing, the words that you can't take back, the actions that you can't undo, the mistakes that can't be fixed, the problems that run too deep. Now well, let's just have one big blarg to get it out of our system. One, two, three. Nope, no, not yet. One, two, three. Oh, I didn't say it. I have to say it with you. One, two, three blarg. Whatever it is that makes you irredeemable, that is the thing that God is in the business of redeeming. So have hope, cling to the cross, and then get to work obeying God and putting your sin to death. Because that's the last thing that an honest assessment of our real sin gives us, is the ability to begin to fight it. There are those of us, maybe some of us even in this room, who don't have victory over sin because we don't actually face the sin. We've never looked the dragon in the face. We've never been honest. We've never been vulnerable. Not with ourselves, not with other people. So I'm telling you, there is hope. There is help. There is change. But you have to start by looking the problem in the face and have faith for it. Because look what God did with these men that we've been talking about today. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for your mercy to us. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you use sinners. Thank you that you forgive sinners. Thank you that you sent Christ for sinners. Please give us lives of hope and give us lives of faith. In Jesus' name, amen.